Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. Hello and welcome to Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. The podcast where we answer your questions, provide dubious advice, and give you all the week's news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon. But first, John, give us a short poem, because that's what you like to do. That's why we like to start the podcast. Today's poem comes from Ogden Nash. It's called Everybody Tells Me Everything. I find it very difficult to enthuse over the current news. Just when you think that at least the outlook is so black that it can grow no blacker, it worsens. And this is why I do not like the news, because there has never been an era when so many things were going so right for so many of the wrong persons. A poem, Hank, that reminds us that the news exhausted and outraged us even before the men and women of cable began yelling at us and at each other. And which also brings us to our first question of the day from Diana. Where should I get my news? Isn't everyone biased? So, dear John and Hank, does objectivity exist, basically? Uh, I I like how we get to the root of the big questions that are uh, basically ongoing philosophical questions that no one has been able to answer for the last 2,000 years. Yeah, Hank, that actually reminds me that we got to the heart of the podcast so quickly, I forgot to mention our sponsor. Uh, you know we're going to have sponsors moving moving on, Hank? Are you aware of that? No, this is actually taking me completely by surprise. Okay, yeah, no, we are going to have a uh, sponsor. Um, our sponsor for this podcast and every podcast is us. Uh, today's podcast is brought to you by John and Hank Green, co-owners of DFTBA Records. Uh, DFTBA.com, your friendly neighbor neighborhood e-tailer. Check it out. Dear Hank and John is also brought to you by the Orlando Solar Bears, a defunct international hockey league team from the 1990s. Dear Hank and John, which wouldn't be possible without the delicious, crisp, and clear taste of Crystal Pepsi. Dear Hank and John, brought to you by Rock'em Sock'em Robots. Who's going to win, the blue robot or the red robot? You won't know till you buy Rock'em Sock'em Robots. Available now at rock'emsock'emrobots.com slash Hank and John. Use the offer code Hank and John to get 15% off and ensure that we make $6 every time you buy Rock'em Sock'em Robots. I want to see if Rock'em Sock'em Robots actually still exist right now. They do. They do. I feel I feel like that. Okay. we shouldn't use that because like they're a real thing and we just advertised for an actual product. Right. Uh, but so don't... Do 
DFTBA, this... So, Dear Hank and Jed is not brought to you by Rock'em Sock'em Robots. It's brought to you by the game Crossfire. You'll get caught up in the Crossfire if you play Crossfire from Mattel. Dear John and Hank, brought to you by Chuck E. Cheese. Chuck E. Cheese, the number one place to go when your child is five and does not yet have an enterovirus. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I actually love Chuck E. Cheese. It's true that I get... A Chuck E. Cheese still exists? Ch does Chuck E. Cheese still exist? Hank, Chuck E. Cheese is... Not only does Chuck E. Cheese still exist, I spend almost every Saturday there. Oh. Wow. I, I love Chuck E. Cheese. I might like Chuck E. Cheese more than Henry does. Um, Can we get to... The question uh, asking the question? and answering part of the podcast? Yeah, maybe, maybe we should yeah, do that. There was a question... Objectivity. Uh, does it exist? Where do you get your news? Because there is no such thing as a non-biased source of anything that is human. I mean, here's, here's my answer to the question. I, I try to get my news from multiple different sources. So I read The Economist. Um, I read The New York Times. Uh, I read the Wall Street Journal. I also read the Indianapolis Star, my local paper. Um, and I read my Tumblr and Twitter and Facebook feeds, which I try very hard to curate intelligently so that I'm hearing from Human Rights Watch and I'm hearing uh, from the Gates Foundation and I'm hearing from organizations that are focused on what's called like effective altruism, like trying to maximize uh, the effectiveness of your charity dollar. Uh, so I want to hear from lots of different uh, organizations and both news organizations and uh, other kinds of organizations that are doing work around the world uh, to find out what's going on. I also get a lot of information from Wikipedia, which I feel like is a pretty, uh, a pretty good collection of human knowledge. Not the best, but good. It's pretty amazing that Wikipedia has managed to not be biased. Uh, like, like it has managed to be fairly unbiased, and, and that I really don't understand how that happened and how it's possible, but it does seem that way. Um, and the, oh, it depends on the article. Yeah. Some of the articles, some of the right. articles are not great, but but yeah, no. Somehow or another, uh, Wikipedia has become an astonishingly good encyclopedia. There's no such thing as a perfect encyclopedia. Uh, even you know, even expert curated ones are not perfect. Uh, but it's a very very good one. I think that if you're looking at things that seem like unbiased news, that you're getting uh, a pretty good sort of cross-section of unbiased news, the trick is to not go to any one source. And, and the other trick is to read the news rather than just read whatever comes across your Facebook page because that's where the most bias happens when you're only sort of being exposed to the news that your friends want to share or that uh, or that people in your, you know, in, in your world are sharing. If you're only seeing and, and having conversations inside of a bubble that is created by, you know, your internet preferences, then... Um, then the internet is creating a world for you uh, that does not reflect the actual world. Right. You end up in an echo chamber surrounded only by voices that you already agree with instead of uh, yeah, being exposed to stories that you might otherwise not. I mean, that's very difficult to do. Uh, that's one of the things I like about The Economist is they report news from all over the world. Now, obviously, they still have a American and European bias, but uh, there's quite a lot of reporting um, from around the world. Hank, I have another question for you. Uh, it's from Sylvia. Dear John and Hank, what's the most unusual place you have ever peed? Uh, I feel like that question is kind of because you pee everywhere you go. Right. It's kind of the question is kind of what's the most unusual place you've ever been. So for me, the answer to that question is the White House, where I also pooped. Oh, that's wonderful, Hank. Congratulations. Um, the most unusual place I've ever peed is Mike DiTullio's bed. Poor Mike DiTullio. Are you just going to let that hang there? You're not going to explain that at all? 
I don't know how to explain it. I made a poor decision. <laughs> and I, Mike DiTullio's life was negatively impacted as a result. I woke up in the middle of the night one time uh, and uh, uh, puked in the sink of my of my uh, bathroom. And this was like our childhood home. Yeah. And then I peed in the tub. Yep. And I mean, you pee in the tub plenty as a person. Like, sure. That's sort of a thing that people do. Uh, but but I just stood outside the tub and peed into the tub. Yeah. Um, and and then I, I went back to sleep and then I woke up in the morning and I was like, I don't feel very well, but I guess I'm going to go to school. I'm, I feel very tired. And I got into the bathroom and there was puke in the sink and pee in the bathtub. And I was like, I should probably go back to bed. <laughs> so there you go. Hank has peed into a bathtub. I've peed into the bed of a relative stranger. Um, when I was intox uh, an intoxicated college student. I do wish to clarify, though, that uh, just for the record, uh, the, the young man in question was not in the bed when I peed on the bed. Um, and I did switch mattresses with him and do all of his laundry. So in some ways, I didn't pee on Mike DiTullio's bed. I peed on a bed that was about to become mine. Joe asks, Dear Hank and John, do you see yourselves making YouTube videos in 10 or 20 years? Yes. Yeah, kind of. I mean, like, I don't know if there will be, if it will be YouTube videos, it will be web format video, which is the phrase that I had used to me in a, a conference call last night. Oh, God, that makes me sick to my stomach. I'm so glad I don't have to get on conference calls like that. Um, yeah, it will be uh, video. I, I still think that we will make video and I still think that it will be uh, transmitted via uh, the little tubes that make up the yeah. internet. People will watch them on their computer and iPad screens or personal device. I think that your personal device screen will by then be installed into your iris. Um, so I don't think that you'll be holding a screen. I think that it will just kind of run uh, run across um, you know, your cold, dead eyes. It's funny, um, funny the things we disagree on. I think we will maybe eventually colonize the galaxy, and you think that in 10 years we will have screens in our irises. There is no way that we're ever going to colonize the galaxy. That is so ludicrous, I refuse to engage with you further in the conversation. Next question from Kayla. Dear John and Hank, my two-year-old son Liam told me that if he ever has a brother, we should name him Hank John. <laughs> Do you approve of this name? And if not, what would you suggest? First off, uh, Kayla, I am flattered. Please tell your two-year-old son, Liam, that we are delighted uh, that he thinks so highly of us that he would name his brother Hank John. Um, however, Liam, if I may speak to you directly for a moment, um, in what universe does it make sense to name your brother Hank John when the name John Hank is right there waiting for you, Liam? John Hank. Me, hey, it's me, Liam, and my little brother, John Hank. I can see it already. You're at the, you know, you know, like uh, you're in fifth grade and he's in third grade and everyone's like, oh, is that your little brother? And he's like, yeah, that's my awesome little brother. He's so cool. John Hank. I don't like you imposing your values on poor Liam. No, I'm not imposing my values on Liam. I'm just saying what's objectively a better name. John Hank is definitely better than Hank John. It's funny because the podcast is called Dear Hank and John. So Hank John, actually, I feel like it flows better. Well, you named the podcast, clearly. No, the podcast just, it, it was, you know, it, that, it named itself, you know? It's, it's just what, <laughs> it's what makes the most sense, Hank and John. <laughs> I would argue that it makes the least sense that the older brother, John, would come before the younger brother, Hank. Yeah, but then you're, Dear John. then you're saying John and Hank, 
and you've got those two ends next to each other. John and John and Hank. It's no, it doesn't doesn't flow. Hank and John. It it got that k at the end of the Hank to push you into the and Hank and John instead of John and Hank. It's awful. <laughs> okay, Liam. I think that we've decided that you should either name. Uh, your younger brother, your hypothetical younger brother, Hank John, or just name him uh, John and Hank. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's good. It's up to you, Liam. We're going to leave it to you. We trust you. You seem like a really good uh, namer already for a two-year-old. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I got to say, I have a two-year-old, and um, she has no idea that it is possible for her ever to have another sibling because it isn't. (laughs) An Icelandic nerdfighter named Kolka asks, Dear Hank and John, have you ever considered visiting Iceland? Best regards. Considered visiting Iceland? Hank, can I tell my visiting Iceland story? You've been to Iceland? Have I been to Iceland? Of course I've been been to Iceland. You've been everywhere. I was in Iceland in the summer of 2008. So here's my Iceland story. Iceland is a beautiful, fascinating nation of 300,000 people. It's about the size of Columbus, Ohio, but it's an independent country, okay? Okay. Uh, So I land in Reykjavik, Iceland, with uh, three of my friends. Well, one, one, one spouse and two friends. But my spouse is also my friend. So three friends. And uh, we go to the hot baths immediately. And the hot baths are almost empty. But very nice, very pleasant hot bath um, out in the uh, out in, in public. And, and I, this part of Iceland itself looks a little bit like the surface of Mars, which is to say that it's like boring and uninhabited. But there was still something lovely about it. <laughs> um, and then uh, we take the bus into Reykjavik proper. And it's a large city. Uh, with no people in it, right? Like, everything, it is completely abandoned. It looks like a ghost town. Like, if everyone left Columbus, Ohio all at once. And I'm totally freaked out, like, walking down the road with my baggage behind me, complete silence. I, I It was the most odd and dislocated I can ever remember feeling and then suddenly there is this eruption of sound hundreds of thousands of people making noise all at once and they emerge from whatever hiding place they've been hiding from onto the streets screaming cheering throwing beer at each other covered their faces covered in the Icelandic flag many of them weeping and it turns out that when we landed in, in Iceland was the very moment that Iceland's Olympic men's handball team was securing Iceland's first <laughs> Olympic medal in like 60 years. <laughs> and so I found myself in the midst of the most wonderful party and people would grab me or grab Sarah and they would grab us and look, look at us and scream joyfully in Icelandic. <laughs> And we would be like, that's wonderful. And they would be like, oh, you're American. You've won so many medals. You must always feel this way. So I love Iceland. I love it's my the favorite place I've ever been, Kolka. I like you. how there was there was just not a single person in the entire country who was not at that moment watching that handball match. Because again, it's a nation of three hundred thousand people. It's like if Columbus won an Olympic medal. It was oh, what a time to be alive. And then when we uh, during our our trip in Iceland, which lasted two days, at no point 
did anyone discuss anything other than the men's Olympic handball (laughs) victory? Uh, Apparently, you want to go back to Iceland. Did you know, John, that according to a recent poll, the majority of Icelanders believe in elves? Elves like uh, Santa's elves? Uh, I think more like Santa's elves than like Tolkien's elves. I I think like uh, kind of the way that we would believe in, in like ghosts. Where they're like they're like little little people who like get up to mischief, and live in the mountains. Well, you have to understand. Having spent two days in Iceland, I'm a bit of an expert in the country, <laughs> and you have to understand that um, it looks like a place where elves would live. So it, I think if I lived in Iceland all the time, I would also probably believe in elves. I li- I kind of wish I believed in elves. Okay, okay. Another question, Hank. This one from Dylan. I would like to know if you two think Punk is dead or not. And your reasons for feeling that way. As a person who uh, literally fronts a punk band, I hope it is not dead. Um, yeah, Hank, you're pretty punk rock. <laughs> uh, usually when people say things like uh, punk, punk, punk is dead or that anything is dead, it's because it's changed. Uh, and, and looks different than it used to look or acts different than it used to look. It, it, and that is true of punk. Uh, but... Old punk remains alive, even if you don't like new punk. Uh, you could still listen to your Operation Ivy or Seven Seconds or whatever you think p- real punk is, and those that's s- not old punk songs still sound just as good as they. I but I know, but I think this might be where this person is coming from. More, more from that era. Yeah, that's the thing is, like in 1993, when I was a sophomore in high school, I thought that punk was dead because. You know, nobody was listening to the Dead Kennedys anymore. Right. So it's it's maybe it's that uh, punk is different and in a way that makes older punks feel uncomfortable because all time low is too pop punk or whatever. But 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 there is lots of interesting and amazing uh, punk happening all over the world, and some of it is very underground and independent, which is what punk should be. So I think a lot of times there's really interesting punk happening. It's just uh, that people aren't taking the time to find it. All right, Hank, quick question. Um, And we're going to answer together on three. Uh, What is a a pop punk band uh, or a punk band that most people uh, aren't familiar with uh, that we would heartily recommend? One, two, three. The The Mr. Mr. T T experience. experience. Yeah. Uh, I knew it. Yeah. I knew it. We both love the Mr. T experience. Um, Another question. uh, This one is from James. Dear John and Hank, I will soon be starting a job that will have me traveling a lot. Do you have any traveling tips? Do I? Oh, God. Don't get John started on traveling tips. Oh, God. It's almost all I have at this point is traveling tips. Here's my Um, my travel. I want to start with one. When the plane goes... That's normal. Yeah. Um, well, when it comes to worrying about whether what's happening on your plane is normal, uh, you just look at the uh, flight attendants. Um, <laughs> and what you'll discover is that pretty much everything that you're worried about is normal. Um, and then on occasion, um, you're moments away from a fiery death. <laughs> um here is yeah I, my biggest my biggest travel tip James is this uh, you're going to be spending a lot of time in mediocre hotel rooms uh, you uh, will as I have memorized the layout of the courtyard Marriott hotel room so that no matter what city you're in you'll feel like you're in the exact same place because every courtyard Marriott is laid out the same um, you must leave that hotel room or you will 
if you are me anyway, uh, descend into a deep spiral of darkness. So you must uh, call an Uber or a taxi or something and uh, go somewhere in the place that, that you're visiting uh, that makes you feel like you're actually uh, there instead of just like you're in another Courtyard Marriott. By the way, uh, today's uh, podcast brought to you by uh, Courtyard by Marriott. Fantastic hotel chain. Um, couldn't make the podcast without them. So so appreciative <laughs> of their uh, financial support. I, I, I want to tell a story about a Courtyard Marriott. It's very short. I was staying in a Courtyard Marriott on our most recent tour with Hank Green and the Perfect Strangers, and it uh, it was a converted other hotel. Oh, boy. A much like a hotel that was uh, much like much bigger rooms, but they had just put the Courtyard Marriott Hotel furniture in that room. Oh, yeah. And so it was very strange to walk into the room and be like, well, it was like this weird uncanny valley where it was like, this is all the Courtyard Marriott furniture and the Courtyard Marriott art on the walls, but there's just a huge amount of empty space. It was very strange. Hank and I once spent uh, 34 consecutive nights in different Courtyard Marriotts. Um, It's true. And you do... yeah. Like, close your eyes and think of that red love seat, Hank. You know what I mean? Yep. Oh, that red love seat. It was my it was my ground while we were traveling. You know, I'd spend all day in that minivan with you and, and nothing against minivans or you, but I just I just kept thinking, man, I just need to get to that red love seat at the Courtyard Marriott in Duluth, Minnesota or wherever we were that day. I any anyway, I, I don't know, like how how long are you gonna go on with travel tips? Because you've done a lot of traveling. I do feel like Vlogbrothers has been a tremendous gift to my traveling because it forces me to leave the hotel and do something or at least to think about something other than how much I hate spending time in hotels. And I know this will be very foreign to people who don't do a lot of business travel. Probably a lot of you are like, what, what's so wrong with having like be, spending time in hotels and having, uh, you know, people clean your towels for you and uh, uh, having a- access to uh, room service and a mini bar or whatever. And um, there are a lot of blessings to it but uh at least for me uh it is the the the, the place of, of of darkness and horror <laughs> um to be honest it is and so vlog- having to make a vlogbrothers video is like okay well you have to do something other than like uh stare at the television which you don't like can't find the energy to turn on and uh, contemplate the um, dead blank face that's looking back at you through that off screen. Um, it, you have to make a Vlogbrothers video and it kind of like gets me going. So um, I guess that would be my other travel tip. I don't want to make uh, traveling for work seem that bad because lots of people enjoy it, but that would be my other big traveling tip. Um, uh, make videos or do something, uh, do, do, do some kind of creative projects um, with or for people you love uh, just to kind of like uh, feel connected um, to your wider world so you don't feel like you're just like disconnected in this travel space. And then lastly, definitely pick an airline and work hard to get medallion status. Um, <laughs> not that it really, not that it really means anything. It doesn't really improve your life in any way. Um, but it's like winning a video game. It's like leveling up. So it allows me to feel like I'm accomplishing something by traveling because I'm getting closer to diamond status. Yeah, that's what they want. That is their goal. Well, it works. Um, and when I get diamond status this year, Hank, and uh, Delta Airlines uh, is forced 
to every time I enter the airport, um, shoot off champagne poppers and sing, uh, <laughs> we love you, John Green, we do. We love you, John Green, we do. Then I'm going to be so excited. I'm going to be so happy. That sounds very exciting for you. So listen, your toilet is massively gross, like it's grosser than you think. In fact, bacteria and viruses can hang around in the toilet bowl even after multiple flushes. And I recently found the easiest way to clean my toilet, Blue Land's Sustainable Toilet Cleaner Tablets. Just drop, watch it fizz, brush, and flush. It is truly that simple. No more scrubbing for hours. Plus, the tablets are plastic-free. Blue Land is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and for the planet with the same powerful clean that you're used to. Blue Land products are effective and affordable, and their toilet tablets are proven to work on a wide range of toilet stains, including rust, mineral deposits, lime scale, and hard water. And you can even get more savings by buying refills in bulk or setting up a subscription. Blue Land has a special offer for our listeners. Right now, you can get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash dearhank. You won't want to miss this blueland.com slash dearhank for 15% off. That's blueland.com slash dearhank to get 15% off. Uh, We have another question. It's from Emily. Dear Hank and John, I'm hoping you can help me solve a mystery. For six years now, at the Indianapolis airport, there has been a Spanish-language announcement stating that, quote, effective of June 30th, 2009, it is prohibited to smoke in the Indianapolis International Airport. It is not permitted to smoke outside, on the streets, or in the parking garage. There is not currently an English-language version of this message. And this is the only Spanish-language announcement in the airport. It sounds to me like no one in charge speaks enough Spanish to realize that this sounds quite silly at this point. Any thoughts on the matter? Emily, uh, you've asked the single most important question facing humans today. Why? Six years on, does the Indianapolis International Airport continue every 12 minutes to play that Spanish language announcement that it is no longer possible to smoke inside the airport? Is it because they believe that Spanish speakers uh, smoke at rates (laughs) higher than English speakers? Is it because also, why don't they ever have in Spanish that um, you need to keep your bags with you at all times? And that if a stranger approaches you and asks to put something in your bag, you should say no, which they also air every 12 minutes, lest one forget that uh, if somebody <laughs> random walks up to you and says, can I put this dynamite in your in your luggage, you're supposed to say no. Um, uh, Emily, it's a great question. Um, it's, it's a question, actually, that I have asked the Indianapolis International Airport over Twitter. They did not respond. Um, I feel that it's time to retire the announcement. You can't smoke in any public place anymore, um, including but not limited to the Indianapolis Airport. And yes, I am equally frustrated by this. And when I'm filming a vlog, I cannot tell you how often in the middle of a really great take, they will come on the air and remind me in Spanish that I cannot smoke. Your life is so hard, John Green. I know. Thanks for empathizing, buddy. Uh, this question, speaking of hard lives <laughs> and uh, personally specific question, comes from uh, Kieran. Uh, Dear John and Hank, greetings. I'm a nerd fighter who was recently diagnosed with ulcerative colitis, and I'm heading off to college in August. I was wondering if Hank, given his own experience, had any advice about dealing with this disease while in school. Hank, uh, you have ulcerative colitis. Um, what do you think? Uh, it depends on your severity. Uh, there, but like, 
is mostly about getting used to and being comfortable with uncomfortable things. So uh, letting your professors know and your friends know that you might have to not be where you're supposed to be at all the times when you're supposed to be there. Um, And you might have to run off in the middle of class and just don't ask because you know where I'm going. Yeah, and and it's about, like, being comfortable enough with your disease and your situation to not feel embarrassed about that or to, you know, be able to get over the embarrassment of it. Um, And that's really hard, and it takes time and practice, and that's the only thing that it takes is you just have to do it, and the more you do it, the more you'll know that people are really going to be fine with it. Yeah, I feel like uh, we have so much shame around our bodies that diseases like ulcerative colitis are kind of uh, doubly traumatic. Like, they're obviously physically traumatic, but there's also this huge social stigma that goes with it because we aren't allowed to talk about pooping. Um, and we aren't allowed to talk about uh, like intestinal uh, diseases in the same way that we're allowed to talk about, right. say, a broken arm or diabetes. And um, I, I, I just want to encourage you uh, to be as open as you can um, and to, to understand that your body is not, is not shameful and that um, making this you know, it's unfortunate that you have a disease that's made worse by its social stigma. But, um, you know, the vast, vast majority of people um, are are compassionate and open and will not be uh, judgmental and will not snicker at you and will understand that you are living with a chronic illness that is already difficult enough without having to be surrounded by uh, people who would who would shame you. For yeah. It. And it's a thing that's going to. But it's not not going to be embarrassing. It's going to be embarrassing for you, and it might also be embarrassing for them, but it's just, you know, like, the only way that we can move past this is if we pretend like it isn't embarrassing, and then everybody will be like, I'm embarrassed, but should I be? And then they'll be like, no, and then it's okay. And hopefully, through a generation of that, we can have children who will not feel like they can't, uh, you know, have a disease that involves pooping uh, and and not experience constant shame. Yeah, I, I guess that's what that's what I really want because I do think that like once people are exposed to it, and if you can be honest about it, like Hank, when you're honest and open about it, like my own embarrassment, it's actually done wonders for my own embarrassment and shame around uh, bodily functions, you know. And I think that uh, it's unfortunate that you you get placed in a position where you sort of have to be. Um, a spokesman for it, but um, but it does do a lot of good, uh, and it, and and people's attitudes do change by uh, exposure, um, and they become more more comfortable, um, and they stop seeing it as the the through the embarrassing lens that they've are always seen it through. Um, but it does take time and and work, and it's not fun. Dear Hank and John, I recently finished my first year of university, and right after that I went on a service trip to Nicaragua. I have been thinking a lot this past year about ways in which we can help those less fortunate than ourselves, especially when it involves other nations than our own. Is it right to interfere in the lives of others and come to help them as if we know best? Kim. Well, uh, that's a really interesting question. And I think for a long, long time, one of the biggest problems in global development and global aid uh, was this idea that instead of listening uh, to people living in low income countries about their needs and their proposed solutions to, to the problems they face, 
you know, the U.S. and Europe and the Soviet Union would come in and say, like, oh, we have the way and now we shall implement it. Um, and that was very effective in terms of uh, getting countries to, uh, you know, side either with capitalism or communism. But it was completely ineffective when it came to uh, development. Uh, and that's one of the big or one of many reasons why low income countries um didn't benefit a lot from uh, development and uh, development aid in the second half of the 20th century. Um, I think the key uh, here and the key in so many places is uh, to listen and to listen empathetically and to understand that uh, people living in poverty understand much more about poverty than we do. Um, and they also uh, know solutions that we can't possibly think of. Um, so instead of like going uh, to a poor country and trying to implement a solution, I think that it makes a lot more sense uh, to go to poor countries and listen, um, and then uh, see if there are ways that money or uh, other resources um, can help to implement solutions. And I think that kind of development is a lot of what we've seen in the last 20 years and has a a lot to do with why we've seen these dramatic reductions in infant mortality, in maternal mortality, dramatic reductions in um, malaria deaths and diarrheal deaths. Um, it's because we finally have started to listen, but but we still need to do a much better job of that. It's very, it's really difficult to to come into a place uh, and and have this goal of, of wanting to make the place better, and then to not immediately impose all of your values and and perspectives and worldviews on that situation like i am used to a world where you solve problems by hiring people and you solve problems uh by thinking really hard about complicated uh you know like this uh, and, and i'm solving the problems inside of the social structures that i know and understand and those are not the social structures of other places. They're the social structures of Missoula, Montana and online video, which are not universal in any way. So I, I like it's important to realize that when uh, when we are engaging other places and other people who are different from us, we are the ignorant ones. We have no idea what's going on. We have no idea how that society functions. And um, wanting to impose and like sort of implicitly imposing our worldview and then also wanting to impose our values are destructive feelings because there's there's the thing where you where you feel like well I'm helping and but like this thing this way that your culture behaves upsets me um and so like let's fix that first is not that's not why we're doing this we're doing this so that fewer babies will die and so that people will live longer and have happier healthier lives that's the that's the first step um and and like this thing that happened for a long time where the first step was to impose your values along with whatever aid you were giving uh was yeah and we still don't do a great job of not doing that i mean the the healthcare system um, in the developing world that I know best is is the Ethiopian healthcare system. And one of the biggest successes that they've experienced in the last 15 years is with volunteers. It's with uh, female volunteers uh, in rural communities who uh, go out 
and talk to their neighbors about prenatal care, about how, uh, when it's time to have a baby, how to get to the healthcare um, uh, center, or if necessary, to get to a hospital. Um, and those are people who aren't paid. Like that, that's very counter to my understanding of how uh, you solve uh, healthcare problems. Uh, because I live in a country where we spend twenty percent of our GDP on healthcare. And so I remember talking to a woman. And saying, like, I, I don't want to sound like a, you know, like a filthy capitalist, but like, why do you do this? Like, you know, like you have a lot of other work and you have a lot of other responsibilities. Why do you do this? And she she pointed out to me that that is not a question that I would ask if I had seen a lot of babies die. This uh, this brings to mind the fact that I, I have put this podcast in the comedy section, which I'm, I'm I, I really feel like it, uh, it belongs there. I'm glad I did that. It's nonstop comedy. Our only negative review so far on iTunes uh, has the subject line comedy question mark question mark. And then uh, the text was something like uh, this podcast was so depressing. Why do I have to think about the fact that we're never going to explore the galaxy? And the answer to that is that we are never going to explore the galaxy. It's not my fault. And that's it's amazing. hilarious. That's amazing. Oh, like, man. Is that the, that's the most depressing thing you took away from that episode? Not that the lifespan of the human is inconsequential? Uh, anyway, it's just, just, just good old-fashioned comedy. Do you want to know why I put it in the comedy uh, section, John? Yes. I was going through the sections, and they kept asking me to subcategorize. Mm-hmm. Like, if I picked what, it'd be like, so which, which of these subcategories? And I was like, that's too much work. And when I clicked comedy, there were no subcategories. Laziness, the key to podcasting success. Hank, I think it's time to talk about the news from AFC Wimbledon, the most important football club in the world, owned by its fans, built by its supporters, and, uh, of course, Mars, which is a cold, dead, lifeless rock uh, orbiting around the sun. Uh, What's the news from Mars this week? Uh, In Mars news, the trailer for the upcoming film The Martian was released, and I'm very excited about it. Uh, I I don't know if I'll actually be able to go see the movie because I'm I'm like that excited about it. I feel like I might need to see it in private. Uh, because it's what, vi- what is it's this very, movie? It's very it's it's an adaptation of Andy Weir's book The Martian. Uh huh. Um, and it's about an astronaut played by Matt Damon, who is one of my favorite people. Yeah. And uh, Matt Damon is is lost in a dust storm mm-hmm. as they are evacuating Mars because of this dust storm. Okay. And presumed dead, but then he ends up to not be dead, and he has to stay alive yep. for years on 30 days of supplies. It's basically, it's like, it's just weird engineering. Uh, it's just, it just him, like, sciencing on things for for you know 300 pages it's amazing it's it is the most like it is the most intense and wonderful experience reading i have had with a science fiction book in a long time and i absolutely suggest anyone check it out um and it's but and like the fact that they're turning into a movie is weird because it's going to be you know it's it's like the whole book has like it mostly has one character because it's a guy who's alone by himself on mars right they did that with uh they did that with i am legend yeah which didn't turn out well oh Um, i thought i am legend was totally watchable i didn't watch it i've only heard that it didn't turn out well. You know, people are always so hard on Will Smith movies, uh, but just like Tom Cruise movies, I find them to be solidly 
viewable. I feel they distract me from the void, which is the number one thing that I ask of films. Yeah. Oh, well, uh, maybe I'll check it out. Does it have zombies? Uh, it doesn't have zombies exactly, but it has sort of... It, it, it has zombies of a kind, yes. It's a... It's a, it's a zombie-like film. I don't... I, those scare me a lot. I get very scared. Uh, well, I will tell you, it is, a, it is a fairly scary movie. It's one of those movies where, like, everything's pretty chill. You get the feeling that, like, Will Smith leads an overall a pretty high-stress life um, <laughs> due to being the only known human on Earth. Um, but uh, so you always feel this, like, medium level of anxiety. But then, like, ah! Out of nowhere, yeah. there will be, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a, a zombie-like, vampire-like creature. And that, 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 those parts are a little bit upsetting. But what I do is I just cover my eyes during 60 to 70% of those movies. Oh, um, yeah. And I, I just wait for, uh, wait for the inevitable cure to the zombie disease that will inevitably result in, like, Will Smith being reunited with his family and etc. Hank. Uh, that, by the way, is, is again, not news from Mars. It's news, uh, Let me, let me ask you a question, John. If they were making a movie out of the AFC Wimbledon story, would that not be your AFC Wimbledon news this week? Actually, it would not, just because the actual news from AFC Wimbledon is so great. Okay, yeah, I believe that for a moment. Hank, 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 are you sitting down? Uh, that would be weird if I was recording a podcast standing up. Autobio Akinfenwa, the most important soccer player for AFC Wimbledon, the strongest man in professional soccer, according to the video game FIFA, the cult hero of AFC Wimbledon. He's big, he's tough, and he's just signed a two-year contract. He's staying at the club, despite offers uh, from several American clubs uh, in Major League Soccer. Adebayo Akinfenwa, also known as uh, the Beast, is staying with AFC Wimbledon. It's it's huge news. Uh, he loves the club. He loves that it's owned by its fans, and he turned down offers to come to America for it. He's had a fascinating career, Akinfenwa. He started out in his professional career in Lithuania. He's always been told that he was too big. Uh, to be a professional football player. Hank, I don't know if you're Googling an image of him right now, but you should. Um, and uh, he uh, he started out in Lithuania. He once played for five clubs in a single season in England, uh, but finally he has found his home uh, where he is acknowledged uh, and loved for the incredible player and person that he is, and that home is AFC Wimbledon. We are so delighted that he is staying with the club. I yelped for joy. Hank, as you know, I've had a pretty uh, good couple of years in terms of uh, professional and, 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 my, and my personal life. I had I had a child, uh, I had a movie come out, it was very successful. Um, nothing has made me feel as good as Adebayo Akinfenwa re-signing uh, with AFC Wimbledon. It is just pure joy. I have to say that this is not what soccer players look like. He's a big man. He is a big man. I actually remember watch. I, I, I watched whatever the recent uh, important sport thing was uh, and I, I remember seeing him on the on the pitch and being like, "That is a, uh, that is, a, yeah, different." He is strong. Yeah, he he he, uh, he has he actually has a line of clothing uh, called Beast Mode On um, because uh, he calls himself the Beast, and when he gets uh, out on the pitch, he turns the Beast Mode on. Yeah, uh, because in real life, he's a very quiet, incredibly charismatic uh, person. One of the most like likable intelligent, 
uh, funny athletes I've ever heard interviewed. Um, but then when he gets on the pitch, he's got to turn beast mode on. And he is just brilliant. He scored against Liverpool last season, Hank. He is the real deal. And I truly believe that with uh, Bio, as uh, as we call him, we have a very good chance, uh, AFC Wimbledon, of, of going up uh, to League One, the third tier of English football. And then no one could make the case that Mars is more important than AFC Wimbledon. Uh, We have news in the podcast as well. We have an editor for the podcast, Nicholas Jenkins, whose name you might know from being the producer and director of Crash Course here in Missoula. Um, So Nick is going to be... Thank you, Nick. You are awesome. In other podcast news, we held the second top spot on iTunes as our podcast in America, uh, but we were we were pushed out of number one because Stephen Colbert and his new his new nighttime show pushed us out of the top spot. I don't know why he had to launch his podcast the same time we launched ours, but we did usurp him in Canada and the United Kingdom, which are of course countries that are way more important than the U.S. Uh, because our podcast is popular in places where people get free health care. It's not free. They have to pay taxes for it. It just it just seems free because we pay more taxes for health care and don't get universal health care. So that's why right. that's why you were confused. Yes. Also, I tweeted to let people know that that Stephen was keeping us out of the top spot and they should go subscribe if they want us to, to make it there, which we've, of course, did not. Uh, but Stephen tweeted back at me and he said, at Hank Green, sorry, my anglerfish based music is just better than yours. Hashtag yours is good, though. Hashtag can't hate the night. Hashtag song Wednesday. Hashtag I run this pod town. Hashtag song Wednesday implies that Stephen Colbert watched Vlogbrothers in 2007, which I think is very unlikely because I, I feel like I was almost personally acquainted with everyone who watched Vlogbrothers in 2007. And I don't recall any of them having a cable show. Right. No. Yeah. I feel like we would have like recognized that screen name. Yeah. But... I don't know. I bet he has some minions who tweet for him, too. Who knows if it was the actual Stephen Colbert, but regardless, thank you, Stephen. Don't ruin my dreams. It was the actual Stephen Colbert. Just because you've been on the Stephen Colbert show and you've, like, touched him doesn't mean that, like, I don't need validation, John. Yes, Hank, you are suffering so mightily from a lack of outside validation. I don't know how you get through the days. (laughs) Um... So thanks to Stephen Colbert uh, for ruining our dreams of having a number one podcast. Thanks to all of you uh, for listening. Uh, Please send us your questions at hankandjohn at gmail.com. And uh, as we say in my hometown, don't don't forget forget to be be awesome. awesome.